Amen. Amen. Great is his faithfulness, is it not? And yet we live in a world that at times feels like it's fallen apart. <laughs> like you, I've been watching the news, and by that I mean checking my news app on my iPhone, and over the last few weeks tracking with um, this Hurricane Harvey that has crashed into the Gulf Coast. It was, you may not know this, it was named after one of our elders here, Harvey Shepard. So, um, okay, maybe, no, nah, I'm just joking. Over the last week, though, we've seen this storm drop 27 trillion gallons of water. I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, could fill the uh, Houston Astrodome 85,000 times with water. We've seen 72,000 people rescued. I mean, try to wrap your mind around that number. 72,000 people that have been rescued from harm's way. They've seen in the county that Houston is located in, in Harris County, they've seen 136,000 buildings flooded. I mean, that's, that is remarkable. And not in a good way. I mean, in, in a tragic way. And yet, if you're following along, you also see these beautiful stories of the human spirit that emerge out of the darkness. Have you, have you seen some of these? We, we, had, um, we have a, a, a couple in our church who sent out um, an email to their small group. I told this story for service. I didn't know it was the same story. They sent out an email to their small group saying, my, she said, my cousin is nine plus months pregnant. She's going into labor and they are in the flood zone. She went to bed on Saturday night. There was a few inches of water. It was starting to rain. Sunday morning, she woke up, was going into labor, and there was two to three feet of water in her front yard. She went to her neighbor. Some one of her neighbors came down from upstairs in this apartment complex and said, hey, since you're on the first floor, if you need to give birth in um, my apartment building, you can do that. Can you imagine having that conversation with your neighbor? Hey, if you need to give birth in my living room, it's available to you, okay? Well, there was another neighbor who had a father who worked for the fire department. They called the fire department. The fire department deployed a, a dump truck to come, and they picked up this family. And so in the midst of a story where you see tragedy striking everywhere, you also see God at work in some pretty remarkable ways, because the dump truck took Greg and Andrea to the hospital and she had the baby there safely and it was the, the work of this community. They actually linked arms to get her into the dump truck to take her to the hospital. What a beautiful picture of God working something beautiful and something good out of, out of tragedy. In many ways, it's a picture of the lives that you and I live. We can continue to work and we can continue to put effort into sending supplies down to Houston, and I think we should. <clears throat> In fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to deploy some ways where we can get involved as a community to load up a truck to send things down. But here's the thing, we're called to do our part to step into this gap, but you know, if the rain doesn't stop, no amount of supplies is going to help. And it's this tension that we live in, isn't it, of we're called to do our part, but we also know that God has to do his part, that God has to show up and God has to move and God has to work. Otherwise, all the work that we do is, is pretty fruitless. 
And so we live in this tension as human beings, knowing that we're called to step into the game and also knowing that God needs to show up too for our work to mean anything. It's the position that the Israelite community found themselves in in 2 Kings chapter 3. If you have a Bible, please meet me there or swipe there if you have your phone or iPad. 2 Kings chapter 3. And the nation of Israel, and it was in this sort of precarious predicament. They'd split in between the northern and southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom was in a transition of leadership. Ahab was a terrible king, and he died, and his son Jehoram took over. He wasn't any better, okay? But he took over as king, and it was at this transition that one of the people that they had defeated decided that they weren't going to pay up on the tax that they owed him. It's a story as old as time. One nation owes another nation 200,000 sheep and they don't pay up. Okay, well, maybe not as old as time, but you know the way the story starts. So they had 100,000 sheep that they owed them, 100,000 skins of ram, and they decided not to pay. So Jehoram decides that he's going to go to war with the nation of Moab. And he goes to the southern kingdom of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and he recruits the king of uh, the southern kingdom of Judah to come with him. So Jehoshaphat and Jehoram, they team up. And they decide together that they're going to go drag Edom into this also. So on their way down to Moab, they take a circuitous route and they pick up Edom on their way. So you have three nations going to war against Moab. It was, it'd be sort of like if you were in high school and you decided to swing by your friend's house to pick him up to go to a movie. That, that's what they did with Edom. Only it cost them seven days. And so they find themselves three nations, three armies in the middle of a desert, marching and marching, and they run out of water. And so that's where they decide, you may relate to this, that's where they decide, you know what we should do? We should ask God what he thinks we should do. I mean, have you ever been in this place where you've made a number of decisions, some of them good, some of them bad, and you get to a certain point and you go, well, our backs are against the wall, so we might as well do the last thing on our list possible, and let's ask God what he thinks we should do. Let's check in with God, and that's what they do. And they reach out to one of the prophets His name was Elisha, and they ask Elisha what they think they should do. Verse 13, 2 Kings chapter 3. Are you there? It says this, And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your own father and the prophets of your mother. See, just a quick time out. Ahab had replaced Yahweh as God, and he had put Baal in his place. And he'd set up statues to Baal and idols to Baal, and the entire nation's worship was surrounded or was directed towards Baal. So what Elisha says is, you have a God. Go ask him what what he thinks you should do. So you're calling on me now that you're in a tough spot. I see how it is. It says, but the king of Israel said to him, no, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Essentially, he's throwing himself a little pity party here. We're, we're in this desert and we're going to die. Verse 14. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. <laughs> he goes, hey, luckily for you, you're surrounded by good company. Jehoshaphat is a fairly good king, so because you're with him, 
I will answer your question. I'll answer your hope for hearing from God. Verse 15. Now bring me a musician. I love this. So if I'm going to hear from God, I need some background music. Right? Can you imagine that? He brings out somebody with a harp and he's like, no, nah, I was thinking more jazz. Like, let's, let's get it moving a little bit. I, I'm not exactly sure, but maybe a pianist. I don't know. I, Bring me some music. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. It's really interesting. If you have the ESV, that's the way that verse 16 reads. If you have one of the old 1984 NIVs, if you have an NASB, if you have a King James Version, it reads very differently. In fact, let me show you the way that it reads in some other versions. Verse 16, it says, and he, God said, thus says the Lord, make this valley, what? Full of trenches. Like, start digging. And he said in the King James Version, and he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. And actually in the Hebrew, I think that this is a a better translation. The idea that, yeah, God's going to move, but the nation of Israel is called to, to pick up a shovel. They're called to dig some holes. They're called to create some space that the blessing of God, the rain from God would then come and fill. It's this picture of, in many ways, life as a follower of Jesus. We're in this tension, aren't we? (laughs) Where we're called to do our part, where we're called to step in, but we know this, every person in the room knows this, if God doesn't show up, it's fruitless. It's useless. And so here's what God wants to press on the nation of Israel. He wants to press on them that preparation to receive his blessing will allow them to walk in his power. Because God could bring all the rain in the world, but if there isn't a pool to hold it, it's not going to be useful, right? It's the same picture of the nation of Israel when they're freed from slavery in Egypt and they walk out and they cross through the Red Sea. And God parts that miraculously and says to them, now it's time, now it's time to go and to walk into the promised land. And I know that there's giants there, and I know it's going to be difficult, and I know it's going to be hard, but he challenges them, follow me, there's blessing that awaits. And what do they say? No. It's too much. They're they're too big. We We can't follow you there, God. And see, God was ready to pour out his blessing, but they weren't prepared to receive it. So here's my question for you. Is your life ready? Are you you positioned that if God should bless, you would be ready to receive? Let me ask this. As a church, if God should bless, are we in a position, are we ready to receive? I shared this with our staff team last week because I just got this sense that we're in a season of ditch digging. That we're in a season of getting ready for whatever God's leading us next and whatever he has for us. And we're not exactly sure what that is. We just know that we're digging some ditches. You may be in your own life too. You may be digging some ditches. You may be getting ready or prepared to receive God's blessing so that you can then walk in his power. You know what this passage is going to do through a narrative, through a story? 
it's going to unearth for us what it looks like to prepare, what, what it looks like to be ready. In case God should bless and hear this just in, he's a really good God and he loves to bless his people. To what is the life prepared to receive God's spirit, God's power look like? I'm really glad you asked that because we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about what it looks like. Let me give you just a few things from this text. Look back at verse 9 with me. Because this is the way that this story and ours too starts. It says, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Eden. Remember, you have this triad of um, nations and armies together marching towards Moab. And when they had made a circuitous march seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. And then the king of Israel said, alas, The Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Here's here's where he's at. He's done. He's in the desert with no water, and his summation of what's going on in their life is, we have been brought out here to die. They're desperate. You know, you want to see God move mightily in your life? Come to a place of desperation. Come to a place of of dependence. That's where the nation of Israel comes to. They embrace this posture of, listen, God, unless you show up and unless you move, nothing is going to happen here except death. That's it. That's our lot. Unless a miracle happens, unless a movement happens, unless, unless you come and unless you shower us with water, we are going to die in this place. Here's the reality, friends. Will you look up at me for just a second? We all live in the exact same position with less drama. We all live in the position, God, unless you show up and unless you move, nothing good happens here. You can even write this down. If good comes out, it's because God shows up. If good comes out, it's because God shows up. And you can look back and every blessing comes from the Lord. But if God shows up, then good comes out. And if good comes out, it's because God shows up. The Apostle Paul understood this well. He said this about being a minister of the new covenant, about being a new covenant. We celebrated at the table this morning what it means to be a new covenant Christian. Here's what he says it means. He says, but we have this treasure, this gospel, this grace, this power given by the Spirit of God that lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, which, by the way, would make a great band name someday. Just write it down. Maybe you could start it. I don't know. To show that this surpassing power. So why does God, why does God put the gospel, his power, in people like you and me? Frail, broken, needy people. Here's why. So that the surpassing power belongs to God and what? Not to us. See, God loves to display his power through broken vessels. And that's exactly where the nation of Israel is. And the good news for you and for me this morning is that God does some of his best work when his people's backs are against the wall. When, when we're at the place of, I have no idea how we're going to pay this bill. 
I have no idea what we're going to do with this child. I have no idea. You fill in the blank, whatever's going on in your life. I have no idea. God's like, oh, okay. You have no idea, but I've got a plan, and I've got power, and I do some of my best work when my people's backs are against the wall. The nation of Israel's back was against the wall when they saw the Red Sea part. Their back was against the wall when the Jordan River stopped flowing. Their back was against the wall when they're circling around Jericho. Their back was against the wall when their supposed Messiah was in the ground, and he walked out. God loves displaying his power through our dependence. And that's what he does. It's what he does in this situation. And, but it's not a dependence that is um, distant from the action. It's not a dependence that just sits back and hopes. And I say this with all due respect, it's not even a dependence that just sits back and prays. It's a dependence that prays and listens and moves and steps in. The next passage of Scripture says it well. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, trenches. If you're going, well, Paulson, I don't think it actually says that. I think it's saying that the Lord is going to fill up the pools. Fair enough. Fair enough, but here's the way that the Apostle Paul recounts his mission. He says this. He says, I planted. I I tilled the ground. I threw seeds in. And then Apollos came after me and he watered. But in this mysterious way, we did this work, but God gave the growth. God showed up and made something of our work. See, we are called to work. We're called to participate with God and His Spirit and what He's doing in our lives, in our community, in His world. We are called to link arms with one another, and we're called to dig ditches. The problem is sometimes it just feels like a hole, doesn't it? And sometimes you can work and it just feels like a hole. I can remember I was um, one of the very first sermons I ever gave. I was working with Young Life and in Fort Collins, and we had done this, um, a lot of promotion on this high school campus where we were sharing the gospel with high school students and we were having club one night, and we decided that we were going to do two things. One, we were going to give a talk about sin and about redemption, And we're like, all right, that's a great idea. We should do that. We should do that. That's good. And then we decided that we were going to pair it with the gallon challenge. Okay, now, if you're not familiar with the gallon challenge, here's what the gallon challenge is. It's you try to drink one whole gallon of milk in an hour. And we were going to give out a prize for whomever could do it. And here, this just in, nobody can do it, right? I know there's a guy in here like, I could do it, right? Fair enough. We'll try it next Sunday, okay? But... So we do all this promotion, we're going to give away these prizes, and we, we're, we're so excited because students are going to hear the gospel, and they're going to get to meet Jesus, and we started our club and played all these fun games, and a bunch of students showed up, there were 60 or 70 kids, which for us was just huge at the time, and we started the club, and then we started the talk, and at the same time we started the talk, we started the gallon challenge, 
And here's the thing with the gallon challenge. It feels right and it feels good and it feels like victory is within sight for like the first half hour. So right when I get to this point about Jesus, right? Like I've painted this picture of despair and sin and everybody's like, oh man, this is terrible, right? And, and I'm about to invite him to Jesus. Students start vomiting like it's their job. And they are all, we thought it would be a good idea to have all the 20 students doing the gallon challenge on this catwalk that went right above where everybody else was sitting, listening to the message. I kid you not. I kid you. You can't dream this stuff up. Here's the struggle. This seemed like a good idea. This seemed like brilliance. This seemed like the spirits move at some point. Something moved. It was not the spirit. I can assure you of that. And so I'm like, guys, look up at me. Like, and people are like, into these bags along the... I'm like, oh my gosh. So some, sometimes it just feels like you've dug a hole, isn't it? And so it can be hard. I get it. It can be hard when God says, hey, dig a ditch. We can say, listen, we've tried that and it didn't work. And he's like, I don't think you sought me on that one. Um, or we can say, listen, this, this ground has been dry for years. Are you sure? Are you sure? See, the invitation to the life that God fills with blessing through preparation and releases to walk in his power is not only defined by a posture of dependence, but by people who work with diligence. You got a, you got a shovel when you walked in. Um, it's a smaller version of this one. Will you get it out for me? You get it out? Because here's what I believe God's invitation to us is today, is to be a community full of ditch diggers. To be people who say back to God, God, we are going to participate with you in the work that you're doing in our families. And we're going to participate with you in the work that you're doing in, in our community, in this church. We're going to participate with you in the work that you're doing in your world. And I don't know if you know, but this is part of our calling as followers of Jesus. Now, let me clarify for you really quick. Here's what the shovel does not represent. What the shovel does not represent is some self-salvation effort that you get to put in. The shovel does not represent you're in a deep hole and now you've got to dig stairs so that you can get yourself out. The shovel does not represent you making a way on your own. The shovel does not re represent salvation in any way, shape, or form. Here's the beauty of the gospel. You were in a pit, you were in a hole, and instead of throwing you a shovel and saying, start digging your way out, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords stepped in and brought you out. That's the good news. That's the good news. So here's what the shovel is for. The shovel is represent, represented, represented in this story as creating space that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords fills. It's creating space, and we go, God, we're going to dig these trenches. God, we're going to throw this community party. God, we're going to create some new life groups, and we're going to ask that you fill them up. And we don't know exactly what his plan is. And you may say, yeah, part one of my ditches I'm digging right now is, is I feel isolated and I know I have bought the narrative lie of individualism and I'm going to join a life group. I would love to tell you that God will always fill that ditch up with water. I don't know that he will. 
It might be miserable. But I do know this. If you don't dig the ditch, he can't bring the blessing. At least you can't hold it if he brings it. It's a way to create space that God would then fill. Listen to the way that the Apostle Paul says this to the church at Corinth. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, he's just like pleading with him. He's just talked about resurrection, the entire chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And here's his conclusion. Be steadfast. It's this picture of not getting off course in the Greek. It's, it's knowing where you're going and staying on target. Be steadfast, immovable, literally firmly grounded, always abounding above and beyond what you're called to. So, steadfast, determined, and knowing where you're going, immovable, firm, and unshakable, abounding more than is asked of you. And then he tells you what he's talking about, and he says, in the, say it with me, church, in the work of the Lord. That we're, we're dependent people, but it doesn't mean we just sit on the sideline and go, well, God's got to show up for this to go anywhere. So we might as well just wait for him to show up. No, no, no. It's, if, if this is going anywhere, God's got to show up and he invites us to pick up a shovel and to dig a ditch that when he does show up, we can have a way to catch his blessing. Always abounding working hard. Because here's the thing, and you may want to write this down, God's power is typically displayed through human obedience. God's power is typically displayed through human obedience. You look at the revivals that break out over the course of the history of the church, and what you'll find is people being obedient to follow the way of God. You'll find people praying You'll find people seeking the Lord. You'll find people selling their stuff. You'll find people digging ditches because he loves to display his power through people who say, you're my God. And I'm going to partner with you in what you're doing. See, digging a ditch is simply creating space that we ask God to fill. See, because if God would have brought the blessing, but there weren't any ditches, it would have just run right eventually into the ocean. But God goes, no, 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 I don't just want to bring the blessing. I want you to catch the blessing. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said it. He said this. He said, the command, make this valley full of trenches, is an order which is given me this morning for the members of this church. And And I believe it's for us too. Make ready for the Holy Spirit's power. Be prepared to receive what he is about to give. Each person in this place, make this entire church full of trenches for the reception of divine water floods. Man, I don't know about you, but I, I hear that, I read that, and I go, man, I, I want to I dig a deeper trench, <laughs> I, I want to I hope for more from my, our great God. I want to expect that he's going to show up, and I want to expect that he's going to bless, and I want to expect that he's on the move. Here, here's a question if I were you, I'd be asking. What does it look like to dig a trench? Not metaphorically speaking, but in real life, what does this look like? Um, here's what it might look like personally. 
What it might look like personally is carving out some space and some time to meet with God. It, it might look like reading the scriptures. It might look like praying. Do you know, those things in and of themselves are good, but they don't have the power. The power comes when God inhabits those things, and he loves to inhabit those things. You get up in the morning early, and you spend time in the scriptures, you spend time praying, you decide, hey, I'm going to carve out some time just for, for solitude and silence, just to listen to God. You're digging a ditch. You're asking that, that he would fill it. Hey, we have ditches in our life, though, relationally, too. Like, some of your marriages need a few ditches dug, because God could bring blessing on your marriage, but it's so cold and it's so stale that it would just run right off of it. A ditch might be saying, listen, I've been harboring this bitterness for a long time. You want to dig a ditch? Here's three words that'll help you dig a ditch. I forgive you. It's a ditch. You go, God, I just, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but I'm going to step out and I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to ask that you would fill up this space. Parenting? Man, you, want, what, you want to know what parenting is? It's digging ditches. Anyone want to say amen? amen? Some of the ditches fill with water. Some of them don't. Some of them haven't yet. But here's what we do. When we discipline, we're digging a ditch. When we love, we're digging a ditch. We're creating space that we pray and beg that the Spirit of God fills. That's what we're doing. Corporately, I mean, hey, we're digging some ditches. We're, we're throwing a community party next weekend. I hope you come. I hope you invite somebody to come with you. That might be a ditch that you're digging. Signing up for a life group might be a ditch you're digging. Here, here's what the scriptures will say, though. Whatever work that's done in partnership with God, it's not in vain. Literally, it's not empty. And so the story continues. Verse 20, jump down there with me, 2 Kings 3. It says the next morning, so they've heard from the prophet, they've obeyed, and they did so, I might anecdotally add, they did so immediately, and they did so completely. The valley is, quote, full of trenches. Love that. The next morning, about the time of the offering, of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Eden. So the whole country was filled with water. I love that because sometimes we dig ditches and we don't see God move and it makes us less apt to dig the next time around. But what this passage reminds us is that the calling is to listen to God, to dig the ditch and to expect and anticipate that he's going to show up. Man, I was, as I was reading through the scriptures or just trying to think about times where we've seen God show up, I mean, you don't have to go any further than the book of Acts, and you can just track right through. Acts chapter 2, spirit comes, Peter starts opening his mouth and preaching the gospel, and we see 3,000 people in one day cut to the heart, they come to Christ. We see in Acts chapter 13 where Paul's preaching in um, Antioch and Pisidia and he shares the gospel and so many people come to Christ in Acts chapter 13 that it says that the gospel was spread throughout the entire region. 
We see in Acts chapter 14, Paul's stoned, he's taken, um, and they think he's dead. He walks back into Derby. he preaches the gospel. People are so amazed that they respond immediately, and there's this disciple movement that begins in Derby. crazy. In Acts chapter 17, the apostles are preaching the gospel, and they see so many people come to Christ that the economy of the city is crushed. Because the economy was built around idolatry, around the worship of Artemis, and so many people trade in their idols for worship of Jesus that there's a riot that breaks out because the economy is crumbling. Here's the thing. Look up at me for just a second. I don't know what happens in your life. I know what happens in mine, though. My expectation of God moving gets dampened. when I dig ditches that I feel like are just sitting empty. Is that anybody else with me? Here's the invitation this morning. The invitation this morning is around anticipation. It's around expectation. It's around hope. God, you are on the move. And friends, we are not just playing church here. We are meeting with the living God who says, I will bring the rain. And here's the thing. We've seen him do it. We've seen him do it. This church has seen him do it. In 1979, when this church lost their building and they were nomadic for the next however many teen years, we, see, we saw God move in our history in miraculous ways. Not only did he provide a place to meet, but he grew the church when it got kicked out of their building. Anybody there for that? Yeah, I mean, a few of you. Praise the Lord. We've seen God dig us out of financial crisis and bring us into a land of blessing. We've seen that happen just recently. We've seen numbers of people meet Jesus. And here's what, here's what we're asking. Here's what I'm inviting you to. Let's pray, ask God to do it again. Let's ask him to do it again. I'm praying that people are who are far from God, find our Celebrate Recovery group, and who are just bound in addiction, find freedom in Jesus. I'm praying that marriages that are broken are restored. I'm praying that people who are on the brink of saying life isn't worth living run into one of you who loves them well. That's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for a church that would say, we're going to do the work to dig the ditches and we're going to expect and anticipate that God, you would move and you would fill them and you would do something great. So I gave you a shovel because I just want you to picture what, what your ditch is. Where's God inviting you to dig? What space is he inviting you to create that he would then fill with the power of his spirit. That's why I love singing that song, Do It Again. We look back, yeah, you've, you've felled walls, you've provided for South Fellowship, and we're asking, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Verse 17. They dig the ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but, this, but that stream bed shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, you and your livestock and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of our Lord. I love that. Just, just sort of narrative side note. Come on, this is no big deal for God. It's just rain. 
And he can, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. Here's a picture. It's not just one of these nations. It's all three of them, and it's their animals, and it's their armies, and it's the people around who come and benefit from the fact that they were dependent on God, that they dug ditches, that they anticipated, and that God was good on his word. And here's the picture. The picture of the people, corporately and individually, who can host God's blessing is this. They're dependent, they're diligent, they expect God's power to be displayed, and they do so expecting the delight not of some, but of all. (laughs) Friends, this is the picture of what we want to be as a church. We want to be a church that digs ditches, that hosts the presence of God in a way that says to the community around us, that says to our family, that says to our friends, that says says to people on the brink of losing it all, come. There is a God who's good. There is a God who's loving. There is a God who's for you. There's a God who gave his life for you. There is streams of living water here. Come and dip your soul in this life. That's the invitation. That's the picture. It's why the Apostle Paul will write to the church at Rome, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, blessed or beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's why Jesus says about the church in Matthew chapter 5 that we, you, are like a city on a hill. (laughs) That we might do our good works, that we might follow our great God, and in so doing, that people would see our good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Will you get your shovel out for me as we close our time together this morning? What I want to do is I want to create a ditch for the next few minutes some space that we'd ask God to fill. So as Aaron and the team come up, and they're going to lead us just in a a little bit of that song, Do It Again, I, I want you to ask God, expecting that he'll answer. So let's pray together. Spirit of, of God, we ask, I ask, Lord, Would you guide us and lead us? What are the ditches that you're inviting us to dig? For some people in this room, maybe maybe they've never encountered you in a significant, personal, real way. And maybe the invitation they're sensing is just to carve out time and space to hear from you. Father, I pray, would you press on them to dig that ditch? Or for others, maybe they've grown distant from you or they've grown cold. So maybe it's just 15 minutes in the morning that they're saying, I'm going to dig that ditch and I'm going to create that space. And God, we're asking that you'd fill it up. Lord, for for the marriages in this room that have come to the place where even if you were to rain down your blessing on them, it would just run right off. Lord, would you press on them, on us, to dig ditches.
to be able to host your presence, to host your power, to know your goodness. And as a church, Lord, as we look towards this next season, this fall season, I pray that together we would be a church that says, behind the scenes and relationally, and we want to be a church that digs ditches because we expect that you are a God who's bringing blessing. So we ask that you'd lead us and guide us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. What's your ditch, friends? What's your ditch? Would you stand up and sing this closing song with me?